Welcome to the Molding Health Show. Our goal is to leverage the wisdom and experience of our healthcare practitioners to set you on a path of self-discovery and healing. These insights, coupled with a multidisciplinary approach to each area of interest, should provide an invaluable resource to everyone looking for a better approach to health. In this episode of the show, we speak to Sunam Naran about generational trauma from a counseling psychologist's perspective. Sunam Naran. Welcome to the show. So we're so glad to have you on board and talking about generational trauma from a counseling psychologist's point of view. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's a huge honor to have you on the show. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, when the when the team scheduled you on, they were saying, uh, you know, you're actually quite big into social media and stuff like that. And yeah, so very honored. I, I did watch a few of your episodes as well on the various you know media channels. And I love the work that you're doing as well. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So, I mean, to kick it off, I mean, tell us what generational uh, trauma is. I mean, it's quite a, it seems like quite a difficult thing to even talk about. And and I'm I'm very curious to see if people actually ask you, you know, can you help me with generational trauma? Because I, I can't see it in mainstream at the moment. Yeah. So, so it's it's quite a complex topic. Um, so I'm going to try and simplify it as best as I can. Um, but generational trauma is basically trauma that is passed on from generation to generation. Um, and what we see, you know, in therapy is is clients wouldn't necessarily come to therapy saying, you know, I need help with generational trauma because they often don't even know that they have generational trauma. Um, but it's something that, you know, in therapy as a psychologist will sort of pick up here and there. Um, so, yeah, I think in a nutshell, it's it's just trauma that is passed on from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you said that because, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't see that happening as well. Because most people, I mean, like I think even trauma in, in its own right, I think people don't even know sometimes that they, you know, like they in trauma or they experiencing trauma. It just seems to be like that you know, the daily life that they're going through. So, um, yeah. yeah, so with that, how do you really unpack that? I mean, how do you, I mean, how how would they eventually realize actually, yeah, they are struggling with or suffering with generational trauma? Mm. So I think it's important to mention that, you know, when we speak about trauma, we think of abuse or we think of PTSD um, or we think of, you know, major traumatic experiences and when I speak about generational trauma or, or generational trauma in general is not always that it includes that but it's also things like substance abuse within the family or emotional neglect um, or a lack of affection by your parents um, it can be as little as that um, so how I pick up generational trauma within a therapy session is finding things like overworking in your in you know in your corporate environment or in your business um, it could be procrastination it could be just a general feeling of anxiety it could be relationship issues with your partner or your family um, it could be burnout it could be being the caretaker in your relationship to your partner so it's it's little things like that that sort of infiltrate all aspects of your life that actually lead back to generational trauma. I hope that makes sense. Mm, yeah, it does. And and, uh, and I'm kind of thinking you're speaking to so many people at the moment, you know, that didn't even realize that they probably have that. 
because that's always yeah. what their parents did, or that's something that you know their uh, their parents told them to do, or that's the shoes that they had to fit in. You know, if they lost their dad at an early age, or their mum, or you know, what however that worked. Um, and so you almost like don't realize that's happening. And I can't help to think, I mean, like you know, we grew up in a very small community, and you know, like, and lots of that stuff, you just kind of like you know, your parents told you that's what you have to do, and yeah. you did it. And so I think you're speaking to a lot of that. Uh, which is amazing because I don't think many people articulate it. You know, I think that's the, that's the issue. No. Yeah. And, and I think that's what's, you know, for me great about being a counseling psychologist is that it's, it's, it's not always a pathological thing. You know, we're all sitting with issues from our childhood or, or relational issues um, that we don't even know is an issue, but it may come up as, Oh, I'm just having a bit of stress at work. Or I'm having a bit of, you know, issues in my relationship, but actually, you know, it is, it is generational trauma and it's, it's things that have been so normalized in our past and in our families and in our culture um, that I often like to speak about. Mm. I had a conversation with a, co with a coach actually on one of our other podcasts, The Molding Lives one, about a few weeks ago. And she was talking about like the dynamics of the relationships like between generations, you know, like when your child becomes older, you know, they're now an adult, you can't treat them like a child. And yeah. almost like grandparents can't do the same thing. And it's almost like no one tells us how we need to, you know, how we need to change or how we need to deal with other people. You know, you just kind of figure you, you're just going to work it out. And I think it's because of amazing people like yourself. I think we'll go, we'll go through the, how a counseling psychologist helps us now. But, uh, you know, that tells us, actually, this is how you maturely deal with other people. Um, have you found that as well? It's a lot of like training that you have to give people or educating in terms of what is possibly normal, because normal is kind of subjective too. Yes, absolutely. So I think the, you know, the, the main goal for me on social media is psychoeducation. So this is, you know, educating people on, on what is not normal, but, but what is, what affects human behavior um, and what we've been so, what we see as normal growing up isn't actually the healthiest um, because then it obviously affects us in, in our adult life. So a lot of what I do on social media, as well as in therapy is psychoeducating. Um, and to someone who has, you know, their whole lives, they almost feel like, you know, a revelation as if, wow, you know, I thought this was normal, but it's actually, it's actually not normal. Um, and so, you know, it brings people a lot of peace, but at the same time, it's almost like a grieving process that needs to happen. I love that term, actually. Um, didn't think of it like that. Uh, I was actually just telling, I mean, we had a meeting earlier, you know, with the team and I was, I was telling them, you know, sometimes you, you, you really need to let something break before you can fix it. Uh, and it's the same thing. You almost think you need to grieve through it before you can actually yeah. know or get better. Is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely. So, for example, you know, we grow up, especially as brown people and people of color, we grow up in, in not all of us, but we sometimes grow up in families that are emotionally inact um, or emotionally neglectful. And so we think that that's normal. And we go into our adult relationships being emotionally unavailable because of that. Um, but then we start to, to experience anxiety or relationship anxiety and relationship insecurities. And so when I point this out in therapy, it's almost like 
okay, well, I didn't even realize that I didn't receive this from my parents. I didn't realize that this was neglectful. But now you're sitting with all that sadness and um, grief around the childhood that I didn't have or the parents that I didn't have. Um, and so it is a grieving process. It's being able to come to terms with the fact that I didn't really have the childhood that I needed growing up. Mm. Yeah, that's actually, um, I mean, we, we've got two children and I'll watch them and how, you know, we as parents react and always like compared back. Obviously, I've been through my own therapy sessions too. <laughs> so I you know, could work through some of those issues. But yeah, it was a completely different generation. And, you know, I think um, for many reasons, but I can't help but think as well that every generation says the same thing. You know, it wasn't like this when I was younger. You know, everyone seems to say the same thing. Um, yeah. But I love how you you weaved in the, you know, the psychology of brown people. Um, I think that's in its own right, you know, something different. And when I was researching, you know, for the show, you know, like, and I'm like kind of like hesitant about even mentioning it, but like, let's go with it. Um, you know, like colonialism comes up with the same kind of topic and and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, t tell us why you're so interested in that. And is it like a completely different dynamic that you find? Because I'm sure you just don't work with, you know, as a, you know, just brown people per se yeah. uh, in terms of your practice. Mm. So I think you know, when I was training to become a psychologist, I was lucky enough to, to be trained around colonialism and inequality and apartheid and all of that, especially, you know, being trained in South Africa. And I think that that is so important in understanding the basis of human behavior because that is trauma on its own. And so a lot of what, we, what we're sitting with now in terms of our anxiety, depression, stress, burnout, goes right back to colonialism and we don't often realize that you know we, we think okay it's in the past it's happened it's done but no it's actually playing a huge part in in us now as, as adults and i've seen that in you know my therapy space around the differences between you know a person of color and um let's say a white client i think they, there's a lot of differences in terms of their past and where they are now as adults. Um, and so I chose to focus a lot on that because I did see, you know, a lack of POC psychologists um, that were very vocal on social media and, you know, advocating for, for these issues. And so, you know, that was something that I was really passionate about because I grew up myself um, in a very closed Indian environment. And we were put there in that area due to apartheid. Um, and so a lot of the issues that, that I was seeing in my family and, and I was going through um, as a child and as an adolescent went straight back to apartheid. Um, and so I, I really noticed the benefit of understanding our past and how that plays into our adult life. Mm, yeah, I know. And again, I mean, it's, it's such a, I mean, it's a, but I mean, that's why I have a lot of respect for the work that you're doing. It's such a touchy topic, but at the same time, it's also such a needed topic, you know, to talk about. Because, I mean, that's kind of what, you know, what formed us as people, you know, in terms of our generation right now and also our children and what you pass on. And, and I do want to say, I mean, like, you know, it's, yes, we talk about South Africa and, and that's true. Uh, but throughout the world, I mean, that's why we had the movement like Black Lives Matter. I mean, throughout the world, there's social biases and stereotyping and, and the rest of it. So it's not even 
just that. I mean, so it's it's amazing, you know, being able to put that into your context and and kind of understand, you know, what's going on and how it informs you as a person. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I think it would be it would be an injustice if me as a psychologist wasn't able to understand a person or a client holistically. Um, mm. So I think that that's super important is, is to understand every aspect of their past. Um, yeah. Do, do you find that clients, uh, I mean, this is more curious, you know, like I'm qu- quite curious to know, but do you find that clients actually connect to you better, the fact that you do know that context? Or, or does it not make a difference in terms of how you approach clients, you know, from a like a psychology perspective? Yeah. So... Absolutely, they they absolutely connect better if I have an understanding of their past and understanding of their culture. Um, so I noticed this specifically on social media when I started speaking about um, POC issues and brown issues specifically. I noticed a lot of people, you know, messaging me saying, you know, whoa, I I really feel heard and I really feel seen. Um, and so that's how I created my private practice. Um, to be very inclusive and culturally sensitive. And so I do find that clients prefer to see a psychologist that has a personal understanding and a personal like lived reality around the issues that they're facing within their family and culture. Mm, yeah, I can, in my mind, I can kind of see it. I mean, and, and I mean, obviously there's different schools of thought around it, but uh, I mean, I can see it. I mean, they say, I mean, like, you know, to really help someone, you really need to understand it as well. And you need to almost be in their shoes in some way. I think people connect as well better. You know, that's how they, the therapy becomes effective. So I can kind of see yeah. that. Um, okay. Yeah. And I think the, the thing I really love about it is the fact that you it's unspoken at the moment. Like lots of people don't know that. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's quite funny, but like my gran, which was, you know, she was quite a, a you know, like a, a matriarch in the family. But yeah. um, she always said like, all that I want for you is for you to become a, someone that works in a post office um, <laughs> or some other government position, because that's what it is. You know, like they, that was their yeah. mindset at that time. You know, nothing yeah. related to IT or business or anything like that. That's how stuck they are aware, yeah. you know, on the concepts. And that kind of informs you because then you think you're kind of a failure because you didn't get a government job you know, yeah. for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then, and then you're sitting with this anxiety around I'm not good enough, or um, you know I'm an imposter in what I'm actually doing. So yeah, it, it informs every every part of our lives. Mm. Something else, and I'm not sure if it's on topic or not. So my brother and I, we used to always talk about this concept of social IP as well. It's like certain communities, you know, like you you almost have the foundation, and then you build on those foundations. And I find other communities maybe don't have that. So, so for them to start, you need one generation or maybe, you know, one group, you know, one, you know, leg of the family or whatever it is to become stronger so that the next generation could be better. Do you find yeah, that yeah. that comes up as a theme in terms of your work? Mm, definitely. So, so I think, you know, we're only going to get to a place of, of, you know, well-being and health, if we are able to change each generation. Um, and if there is a generation that says, you know what, I, I'm tired, I want to I want to break this cycle, I want to break this curse. Um, and I find that happens a lot in therapy with young, you know, the youth. 
um, where they say, you know, I, I just I want to break these cycles and I want to do better um, for my child or for the next generation. So it is definitely something that comes up quite a lot. Okay. Um, you mentioned the magic uh, term there as well, cycles, because like lots of people don't realize that they're in this constant loop. Hey, it's, um, I don't know if you ever watched the movie Blair Witch Project, you know, like where they yes, constantly end up, <laughs> you know, they constantly end up in the circle and they're just like, why am I back in the same place? But I yeah. almost think psychology is like the same thing or, or people, you know, human behavior. It's like you keep on doing the same things and you wonder, yeah. why did I get back in the same space? You know, it's weird. Exactly. And, and I think that's such an important part of, of being in therapy is because I, as a psychologist, look for the patterns and I look for the themes that keep coming up. Um, and so it, it, it is often that. It's often a pattern around, okay, I keep getting into the same kinds of relationships. So I keep finding myself attracted to the same kinds of people. Why is that? Um, and it goes back to, to your past. It's a very unconscious process that, that takes place. Mm. So if you do break that cycle, is it a, you know, because that's, you know, like there's something, there's something nice about, you know, like what you used to. So when people do realize that there's some, some comfort in being in the cycle, I think breaking the cycle, obviously, you know, it's like, like brave and, and stuff like that. And I suppose if I come back to, you know, what we were talking about and how a counseling psychologist kind of fits in or some, you know, is that how you help your clients? I mean, is that what you see? I mean, how, why would someone reach out to a, just say they have, you know, they love the topic so far and they said, I think I'm struggling with that. Would, would they seek out someone like yourself and how would they get that help? So I think, you know, just to address what you said first around, there's something comforting in a pattern. Um, and that's absolutely it. I think that's why, you know, we, we tend to find ourselves in these cycles over and over again. It's because it's familiar, it's because it's comforting and it, it protects us in a, in a way. Um, and so there is this, what's the word? Almost this fear of coming into therapy um, because we know that, okay, we're going to change these behaviors and we're, we're going to be uncomfortable again. Um, and so, there is that that comes up in therapy around not wanting to change certain patterns and not wanting to address certain topics because it's, it feels so comfortable. But people tend to reach out, you know, for therapy and tend to reach out to me when they find themselves feeling very anxious. I think anxiety is one of the main themes that I'm picking up. Um, so there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of relationship issues that come up romantic relationship issues and then also finding trying to find meaning in life feeling very unfulfilled in life so a lot of existential um, crises um, and so there is this kind of fight between wanting to change and wanting to break the cycle but also finding a lot of comfort in those cycles and not wanting to change because of that um, so yeah it's, it's often a very difficult and uncomfortable process Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll come back to the counselor, you know, the how the psychologist helps. But on, on that train of thought, I'm just thinking, it must be also quite difficult if you do say, I want to break the mold, but your family is still stuck, you know, because we talk about generational stuff, but your family yeah. is still stuck in a certain mode. 
You know, so yeah. it's almost like you breaking the status quo at the moment and you just the troublemaker. Is is that a is that a term that probably comes up as well? Absolutely. So this is so common and it's something that I see all the time. It's you know, wanting to change and, and wanting to do better, but the parents and the, the the rest of the family aren't willing to 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 change at all or aren't willing to step into therapy or aren't willing to, you know, um abide by the, the newfound boundaries. Um and so there's this difficulty that we sit with in therapy around, you know, I want my mom to change or I want her to treat me better. And then, you know, it's difficult for me because we cannot change the mom. We cannot change the family. All we can do is focus on you and you in therapy and how you respond to them um, and how to deal with them. So it's very difficult because, you know, at the end of the day, they're going back into that family. They're going back into that system that just doesn't want to change. Um, but again, I always say that, you know, we can only focus on, on you and your responses and your boundaries and your feelings towards the situation, um, which is all that matters. Yes, it's difficult and it's easier said than done. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very difficult to change those that aren't willing to engage in this process. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, I think, um, I think also from a life skills point of view, you know, it's like, you know, that's probably one of the life skills we should have learned as well. You can't change everyone else. Because whenever you think of something, you're always thinking, you know, I need to change this and I need to change that. But really, yeah. you don't have that much control. You know, you only have control over you, uh, which is mm -hmm. quite sobering <laughs> when you think about it. Um, you know, and especially if you think you're swimming up upstream, you know, so you think, you know, like you can never get a headway. Because um, it's easier, I think, if you get support around you. But maybe it's not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it also it happens with friends as well or partners. So you, you know, we'll, we often see a client coming into therapy that's willing to do the work and willing to you know um, do all the inner stuff. But then they're in relationships with their friends for years who just don't want to do the same work. And so it's often very difficult because then you know they un we tend to uncover a lot of issues. Um, that are related to friends, family, partners. Um, and it's an adjustment. It's a huge adjustment for everyone involved. Mm. I'm thinking, you know, there's that analogy with the crabs. They always say, you know, like the crabs, you know, if you put the crabs in a bucket, you know, like you can never, you know, they always like pull you down. Do you think there's something yeah. about that from a human behavior point of view that people don't really, it's almost like, I mean, I, I'm thinking they, they want to protect you, right? So your family wants to protect you. That's why they don't want you to veer too far off the mold in some ways. Um, yeah. But there's something about that with the human behavior. Like, you know, they don't really want to. Is, is that something that you see as yeah. well or that comes definitely. up as a theme? Yeah, definitely. So I think there's so many different reasons why this happens. But the one thing that, that I'm thinking of now that, that comes up quite a lot is families, especially people of color, not wanting to address the dysfunction that's going on because they feel then they're to blame. So there's a lot of guilt that sits under that. Um, so it's almost like, no, 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 let's continue how it is. Let's keep the status quo how it is. Let's not uncover, you know, all the, the dysfunction that's been going on for years because then I'm going to have to sit with the uncomfortable feelings of not being the best mother or father, whatever it is. Um, and so 
there's often often a projection onto the child or, or the person in the family that wants to do better and wants to go to therapy and wants to work on the issues. And they're often seen as the difficult one or the rebellious one or the scapegoat in the family system. Um, so yeah, there is that need to want to keep the dysfunction hidden. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I... I shudder to think, I mean, in some of those communities, you know, how difficult it must be at the moment, you know, with lots of the topics that are so mainstream at the moment, like gender identity and stuff like that. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, how this, you know, like how difficult it must be, you know, for a for a patient wanting to break that cycle and, you know, come, you know, and do things differently. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially with, with that topic. Um, gender identity. I think we have a long way to go before yeah. we're able to address those kinds of topics in our families. Mm. So I find it so interesting that the legal system is so much more ahead of that. I would have thought, you know, like the legal system would be, you know, kind of backwards, you know, kind of conservative. But if you look yeah. at most countries, you know, like like sexual orientation and as well as, you know, gender identity, I mean, you know, it seems to be like it's mainstream how the thinking is, but I think us as like social beings and communities, we're probably so far behind that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just my my thoughts. I mean, I, I'm not mm-hmm. dealing with it on a daily basis. Just my thoughts, though, and coming mm-hmm. from obviously a closer, you know, closed community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's an important point. And I never thought about that. But yeah, you, you're absolutely right around, you know, legally, it's, I think we're, a lot more ahead than what mm. we are um, within our culture, and you know, I, I think it's it's difficult because, as I see a lot of a lot of brown a lot of brown clients from the Hindu faith, and I think religiously, our scriptures are a lot more open to gender diversity and, and sexuality, but it's culture that that kind of holds us back, and it's it's the traditional. Um, ways of doing things that have been passed on from generation to generation that that is holding us back and not so much the religion Mm. yeah no uh, i agree i mean i can relate to that i mean for a few years i actually uh, decided i'm going to be vegetarian and i remember the amount of of like you know like i would say abuse but like amount of issues you get you know just by not you know like just by being vegetarian was like it was immense and I, yeah. and that was something like pretty trivial, I would think, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, something much more serious, like a topic, I mean, would be, yeah, would be crazy, you know, to yeah. uncover. Um, I think when you're doing something that is different to everyone else in the family, I think that's when it's like, okay, why, why is this happening? Yeah. Yeah, and then everyone wants to become a therapist in terms of why, <laughs> why eating meat was actually a good thing. <laughs> You know, and and what's wrong with you? Uh, yeah, it was was interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, ca- coming to this counseling uh, or the psychologist aspects of it, uh, when a client normally seeks out, you know, help, because obviously, as you said, you know, anxiety is a is a big driver. You know, stress, burnout, and things like that. How, how does a psychologist normally help them? I think we touched on it. You know, around the cycles, that's probably one of it. But is there yeah. anything that kind of springs to mind for you? So I think as, as a counseling psychologist specifically, I think I felt I feel like my training was very holistic in that we try to move away from the 
medical model and the, the trying to pathologize people. Um, so trying to diagnose people with, okay, you have generalized anxiety disorder, or you have um, major depressive disorder. I think as a counseling psychologist, we, we try to move away from that and focus more on, on well-being and what aspects of that person's life isn't working or what aspects of their past is playing into their um, current struggles. Um, so in psychotherapy, I think that would be my first intervention would be to try and obviously build a relationship with them first, which is one of the most important indicators of um, prognosis. And then kind of uncovering the past and, and what's what's been going on for them in the present that is now relating back to their past, whether that's colonialism, whether that's apartheid, whether that's just their childhood. Um, and so, not only finding better ways for them to, to cope, so the coping mechanisms and all of that, but on a more unconscious level, trying to bring their unconscious to their conscious. And this is a very psychodynamic modality, um, but it's something that I find a lot of um, benefit in when it comes to the issues that clients bring to therapy. Um, and trying to create a, a corrective experience for them within the therapy space. So for example, if they had a lot of issues in their past around trust and forming connection with, with the people in their lives, I would then create a space that is, is that feels very trust trusting. Um, and so in that way, I, I try to provide them with a corrective experience to minimize their symptoms of anxiety, burnout, depression, whatever it is that they're bringing to the therapy space. Okay. That is interesting. And you mentioned psychodynamic though. So, so does it mean that working with clients with, you know, like generational trauma is much more long-term kind of, um, lots, it's more long-term work? It is. Um, and, and I know people don't like this answer because they want, you know, they want the quick fix and they want to get done with it quickly, but it is long-term. Um, and it doesn't it not it doesn't have to necessarily be a weekly thing which, which psychodynamic therapy um, espouses. It can be once a month. It can be every two weeks. Um, but it is ideally a long term process. Okay, that makes sense. I think also, I mean, for anyone hearing it and kind of saying, you know, like, <laughs> you know, am I going to just set up a, a, a session with Sinem for? you know, like next week and it's going to be sorted. Obviously, it doesn't work like that. Um, yeah. And I think therapists normally say this really well. It's like, you know, there's no, I mean, every client is different. We get that. But I also, I mean, in my mind, I would think it's it's more long-term. You know, like you really have to unpack the stuff. And I mean, lots of the things, I mean, growing up, you, you don't even think about, you know, and you yeah. don't even think how that related to that. Um okay. I think, you know, when we started, I've always had this entrepreneurship thing in my head and um, it was so, un, <laughs> you know, like it, it was so not normal in our family. And um, yeah. my cousin and I, I think we were in our first year of university and uh, we tried to get help and his dad tried to help us, but, you know, he didn't know anything about how to help us. And, you know, we didn't find any help. Um, and I just think that was you know, like whenever, whenever, whenever I used to talk about, you know, how difficult it was to get things going, it was like experiences like that that I would think about. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, it would be amazing if someone just gave you some guidance, but we didn't have that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's. I often say, you know, when when clients say, 
I want to get done with this in four or five sessions. I often say, well, you know, you're you're 29 years old or you're 35 years old and, and you've gone through all of these experiences for so many years. It's absolutely impossible to deal with all of them or to address all of them in, in five sessions. Um, but I also find that it tends to come up more as a theme for, for people of color um, clients. So especially brown clients in specific, where they have this expectation that therapy is, you know, a quick fix or they need to receive tips and solutions and um, advice in sessions. And I often have to psychoeducate around that that's not what therapy is about. And I do find that it links back to their childhood and having these high expectations around, you know, you need to get these academic marks, you need to get these degrees by a certain age. Um, and so everything is very quick and fast paced and, you know, extremely high expectations of themselves, even when it comes to therapy. Um, and just generally a, a discomfort around sitting with the deeper stuff and sitting with the, the slow process, but progress of therapy. Um, mm. and this is how you grow up, you know, you grow up having parents that, you know, will give you the solution, but won't sit with the discomfort with you. Um, so I think those are, those are quite important things that I've picked up um, in therapy. Mm -hmm. It's very insightful, actually. I mean, uh, I think, um, you know, what's in also interesting for me, again, watching our own kids as well, is that you're so driven to get them to finish school and finish university, and then you magically think, that once they get to that stage, everything kind of like the almost like, you know, you step through this doorway and then you got it all figured out, you know, because right. you're now an adult and it actually life never works like that. You know, it's like uh, every, every year you're learning something new every month. And so I think for people, this is probably another trend. I don't see many people picking or, or taking it up, but it's almost like the biggest investment you need to make is in yourself. And I would argue, biggest investment is probably in understanding how your mind works. You know, everyone yeah. talks about this education of like getting your MBA, getting whatever this is, you know, putting in your work experience, but actually like understanding how your own mind works is probably a better, you know, like choice of your money or spending your money. Yeah. Would you, would you agree with something like that? Absolutely. And I, I often say this is that we, you know, we we're so focused on, getting our degrees, getting the, the marks in school, getting a, the perfect job, going to the gym constantly, um, eating healthy and all of that. But then we're lacking the, the mental work, the inner emotional work, which drives our physical health and which drives our ability to perform at work and our relationships and all of that. And it's it all starts with the mind. So the fact that we've gone all these years trying to ignore that it baffles me because that's probably the most important part of who we are because um, it, it, it literally infiltrates every single aspect of, of our lives. Um, so I wish that this was taught more in schools. I wish there was a subject um, called emotional intelligence. Mm. Um, I do feel like that is missing in our education um, system. I think it's so important for everyone to know about. Mm. Yeah, um, we're in the UK at the moment, and I think the one thing I noticed with my with my daughter, and, and that's like their version of high school, but they do have mindfulness classes, which I thought was interesting. 
And the other one that the theme that comes up a lot is like social justice. So they talk about social justice, which I thought was interesting as well. Um, You know, but but exactly, you know, to your point, I think if we got taught and and I think that's one of the big drivers for us doing what we doing right now with the shows or the podcast is that we, we believe that. Like people don't know what to ask. I mean, like they don't know what generational trauma is. And like they they listen to this episode with you and they said, ah, okay, that's what it is. (laughs) Or or even the term of like psychology of brown people. I mean, I I didn't come across that too often, to be honest, until I started, you know, coming, you know, crossing paths with the work that you're doing. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting term too. And, but now it's in my, my social, you know, conscious awareness and, you know, I'll look out for it. So Mm -hmm. that's amazing. You know, hmm. to see that. Definitely. But but I'm so happy to hear that, you know, it is something that's being introduced in the UK. Um, I hope and you know, I pray that it happens here in South Africa as well. I think more than anything, you know, it, it has to. And, and I think, you know, if I look at the, I mean, it's a, sorry, because a good case study with this as well. It's almost like, they, again, the legal system is like way above us, you know, like a way, way, you know, it's in the front. And now society just has to kind of, just catch up, you know, like just click your fingers yeah. and then everyone has to be integrated. Everyone has to know what they need to do. Everyone has to. And, I, you know, I wonder how much of that is, is what, um, you know, like what we're going through as well, you know, from as a society. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was Viren when we were speaking about like, you know, like people seem to be constantly under PTSD as well. You know, so if you look at traffic, and, you know, people are so much on edge all the time. And yeah. I just wonder, you know, like how much of that is just not thinking correctly through things. Uh-huh. Exactly, exactly. And and I think th- this is something I speak about quite a bit on social media. It's just being in survival mode constantly um, and just, you know, going through day by day, every single day, doing what you need to do, but never just being mindful or just taking a second to think about, okay, did I actually think this through? Did I actually feel this through? Um and that's 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 sort of the culture we're living in in this world, you know, through politics and COVID and now load shedding in South Africa and, and corruption and just a collective stress and a collective trauma um, that I think again goes goes back to back to the past. Mm. Yeah, and I, and I think you know we we're probably talking about this uh, you know in in very in in a lot, in a lot of detail, but I, I believe that I mean like you you do need to know what it is, and you do need to you know, like connect with that that as a topic before you know how to get help. And I think you know that's I think that's the key part to it because at least if you know what it is, and you know this topic resonated with you, then you know actually firstly it's not going to be a quick fix, and secondly. You know, if you, you, there is therapists like, you know, like yourself out there that do understand it and uh, do, you know, like it is a, a passion of yours, you know, and you can connect on that level, which is amazing. Um, yeah, definitely. I think, I think awareness is the first thing where you have to, you have to know that you're dealing with something mm-hmm. before you're able to then reach out for help and, and really work through it. And I think that's what's, what I love about social media is that, you know, psychologists and, and mental health professionals are able to share that knowledge and people are able to resonate with it for free. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so I, I wanted to say that. I think it's I think it's so useful. 
Do you find that you get lots of support from other practitioners as well around the topics? Or is it something that you seem to be advocating a lot on your own? You probably like leading the topic. Yeah, on my okay. own. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I find I find that there are not just other professionals, but you know, people that that don't resonate with people of color, so white people. Mm. Um, I would say that there's a lot of backlash. Mm. Um, because you know, I specifically refer to people of color and, and brown people, and that doesn't always sit well with people. And I can understand that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to tend to be quite controversial, which which doesn't stop me. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. raising awareness. That's yeah, I can imagine that. I mean, I, I can kind of see that as well. But but there's also something comforting about the fact that you take me a stand on something, and it is a real thing. Because, I mean, you can't deny people's actual feelings and, you know, what they're actually going through. And if that's, you know, if there's enough people saying that this is an issue and I have experienced it, then it's it's a thing. Exactly. You know, it's, you can't deny that it's a thing. Um, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think I think psychology has, has always been so Western-focused and dominated. And, and, you know, a lot of what we learn, a lot of the theories that we learn, cannot be applied to people of color because it's completely different. Mm. And so we're doing more harm than we are doing good if we're not understanding the differences and the, the intricacies of culture. Mm. Yeah, my wife's doing a conversion degree, um, you know, in, in the UK and and she was educating me on the fact of like, you know, most of the research is actually based on Western models. You know, so nothing's like applied to Asia or to Africa. And so we we base all of our theories on these you know, Western-based models, but there's no, you know, basis, uh, you know, to, you know, the African model or the, you know, Asian model, which is interesting. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and the Western model often, not often, but sometimes, pathologizes behaviors that are completely normal um, for people of color. So mm. that's where the harm is being done. Mm. Yeah. We spoke about support and things like that earlier, but um, if someone is going through this and they say, you know, I'm actually, I, I don't know if they would use these words, but, you know, really need to work on this because I think I am struggling with generational trauma. How, how can we as loved ones help that person? Is there something that you see that, you know, you would really advocate for? Mm. I think firstly, to not take it personally. I think... I think this is a big one because oftentimes when we have a loved one coming to us or a family member coming to us saying, you know, I, I feel like my childhood wasn't that great. Or I have a very contentious relationship with one of the other family members or with the person that they're coming to specifically. We tend to take it personally and we tend to think, okay, I'm the one to blame. I haven't done something correctly. Um, but it isn't, it isn't that. I think... Understanding general, generational trauma is not about blaming. It's not about blaming anyone. It's not about blaming the family. It's just about understanding how certain relationships or how certain behaviors may have impacted us negatively. And so it's difficult for people to separate that. Um, so first and foremost is, is don't take it personally and just listen. You know, there's, there's not always a need for giving advice or providing solutions because sometimes and most of the time that's not what people need um, unless they 
explicitly ask you for advice. Just listen, just try and understand where they're coming from. Um, I think we often underestimate the magnitude of just being there to listen and understand. Um, so I think those would be the two most important points that, that I can think of. Yeah, thanks so much for that. I mean, that actually makes a lot of sense, eh? And uh, I mean, I just think of like, you know, like, uh, you know, talking about parenting with my mom and, you know, it always like, you know, it always comes back to like, you know, like maybe I wasn't a good mother, like, you know, and what you're saying now makes complete sense. It's not about you. And, and I think the other thing is like, you know, everyone does the best that they can, you know, like they, they, you know, in this right, in this moment right now, you know, with all of the information you have, with all of the knowledge and stuff like that, you make the best decision you can. And, uh, but yeah, I think you said it really well. I mean, I think, and, but it's not an easy one to do, right? It's like if, <laughs> if someone is talking about their childhood and you were the parent, I mean, like, you're like, okay, why didn't I do better? Um, but also find as a generation is, I think we are a lot more educated, obviously, you know, things like social media, you know, even YouTube, you know, you know a lot more right now. Whereas I think the previous generation, I think resources and books and reading and stuff like that wasn't like mainstream. Um, definitely not in our family. Mm, no, definitely. I do think that we are privy to a lot more information and, and knowledge, especially when it comes to psychology. Um, it's it's all, it's everywhere. It's all out there now. Um, mm. And so I think we are in a space or this generation is now a lot more aware of, you know, trauma and things that are passed on from generation to generation. But but like you said, it, it is a fine line because on the one hand, it's difficult to not take it personally as a mom or as a dad. Um, but we also need to be open to admitting to making mistakes, which is the difficult part um, mm -hmm. when it comes to the previous generations. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's a difficult one. Mm. And you touched on it earlier, but I, I want to say it again. It's like, I think people have enough time to probably change, you know, like, so it doesn't matter what age you are, <laughs> you're like, even yeah. if you had another 10 more years, I mean, you, I mean, it's enough time that you could invest and, you know, to learning more or getting help, like, you know, like from someone like yourself or finding someone else, you know, but you can change, you know, you can you know, yeah. just because you did it 20 years ago, it doesn't mean it has to be the norm now. And I think that's probably the difference. Absolutely. And and I see this quite often, you know, with, with clients and even in my own family where, you know, the elderly would say, how can I go to therapy? You know, I'm too old. I, I can't change now. Um, and that's not the case. You can be any age and go to therapy. Um, my grandfather actually started therapy um, a couple of years ago wow. and yeah and, and that was amazing you know amazing. I mean, for him to be able to be open to that and um, question you know certain cultural beliefs and, and the way that he's been doing things for 80 years it's huge um, and, mm -hmm. and he loved it so yeah did you have something to do with that absolutely <laughs> <laughs> that's I a huge benefit <laughs> yeah, I tend to advocate for therapy so much in my family. I think they're they're quite tired of it now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's actually amazing. I mean, I, I've never heard a story like that. Actually, that's very cool. Uh, yeah. Because that's exactly what I was going to say. And, and maybe this is generational as well, or, or it may be the psychology of brown people. But I find when people retire, which is normally around 60 or so, 
you know, they finished off work or something, or maybe they got on onto the government pension. Now they think exactly like, you know, after school, you think, okay, now I'm an adult and I'm, I've got it. It's almost like when people retire, they think their life is over as well. It's like, you know, that they, they have nothing more to like learn or live for or, you know, like do and stuff like that. But the fact that your grandfather could be in therapy, you know, yeah. at that age is incredible. You know, maybe there's hope, you know, <laughs> but I find definitely generationally uh, or, you know, in terms of brown people, it definitely yeah. is that type of mindset. Um, and again, relating it, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, I like to do the comparison, but like here, our neighbors are like 80 and they still do gardening. They're still like out and about. They, they're probably more active than we are. And yeah. and it's it tells you a lot about like maybe different cultures do it differently. So you can change yes. it. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. And I think we we hold ourselves back from from growing and changing. It's it's only us that holds ourselves back. Um and so like you said, it's it's just a mindset shift. It's just to be open um to wanting to change, no matter what age you are. Mm. Um absolutely possible. Mm. And um have you found that you find any books or resources or that have that you normally um, point your clients to when they start talking about, is there something I, w- I would look at, um, you know, around generational trauma? So this is a very difficult one for me because there aren't any people of color that are writing books about this topic. Um, and so it, it, it saddens me um, that there aren't any, you know, literature that I, I can refer clients to when it comes to generational trauma. So I hope, you know, more, more people can, you know, want to write books like this. And, and I would love to do this one day as well. Um, but the book that I do like, it's, it's called The Body Keeps Score. Um, it's difficult to relate to people of color, but, you know, it gives a good basis around generational trauma and, and how our body actually holds trauma and holds anxiety and, and holds everything that, you know, we've been through. Um, so I like to refer to that book. Um, okay. yeah, I do hope that in the future there are more people of color that, that want to speak about this topic. Okay, and and I think you know my le- my my question that I lead on after that is probably like, are there any tools or or courses? And I mean, by have you found any of those? I would guess not, based on the previous one, though. <laughs> nothing, nothing that I. You know, I'm, I'm comfortable referring people to, um, but I would say, you know, I say there are um, social media platforms on Instagram um, specifically that I that I like to refer to. So there is one called um, South Asian Therapists. They speak a lot about intergenerational trauma and they, they break it down quite nicely. Um, so South Asian Therapists and then Brown girl therapy is another one that I like. Let's um, speak okay. about these topics. So yeah, there are those. Yeah, that's actually really nice. And, and I think in the world that we live in, and I'm not sure if it was Viren as well that mentioned this, but you can find your community. I think he mentioned Discord. You know, like you can find your community somewhere, you know, and you can speak about this. And I think the resources that you mentioned now as well, is that if you are struggling with this and, you know, even if you can't access therapy straight away and you just want to connect with yourself and I'm on um, on Instagram or you know one of your social media platforms 
you know, you can do that, you know, and get the insight and get all of that stuff until you're ready to make that, you know, that, uh, that shift into therapy, which is really mm. cool. Mm, definitely. I, I like that. I like that thought of, of finding your community, mm. people that you, you resonate with and people that you feel seen and understood. I think that's mm. so important in, in mental health. Yeah. And, and again, coming back to the, you know, the amazing thing of the world that we live in now, it doesn't necessarily mean that community has to be physical. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, like they could be, I mean, two people in New Zealand, three in Australia, you know, 10 in South Africa, but that's your community. That's your safe space. Um, and there is, obviously, because, you know, you have to check them out and make sure it's proper communities and stuff like that. But yeah. um I think, you know, like because you, you're such an advocate of this as well, I would I would use this opportunity to say that, you know, if it's not available, you should try to create it as well. You know, I think, you know, there's there's definitely something about people being educated, you know, from people like yourself, you know, in, in the way it probably could be. And, you know, I'm thinking courses, I'm thinking, you know, just education, you know, and that leads on to later on, you know, maybe individual therapy or group therapy or whatever that is. Yeah. But I see lots of work being done, you know, from from the stress part, the burnout stuff, but not maybe on this topic. Which mm-hmm. do you think there's any merit in that? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. It's it's been something I've been, been thinking of quite a bit is around creating courses um, and workshops, and it's something I want to bring bring into my practice as well. Um, yeah, I just I haven't looked into the need, but but I'm I'm sure there definitely is. Mm. Yeah, we were speaking to um, Beanie Otto, and she, I mean, her topic was around disenfranchised grief, you know, like, so the whole grieving process, and no one talks about dying, <laughs> like, you know, like, it's the one eventuality, uh, but like, no one talks about like, what happens, you know, as you, you know, like, you're getting older, and what should happen, and rights, and all of those things, and yeah. it's the same kind of thing, I think, you know, there's topics that almost are like, it's difficult, but taboo, and it's just no one wants to talk about it, but those are probably the the like life skills that we need as yeah. people, you know. To mm. yeah. definitely, um, and and I think I think yeah, sure, that's that's definitely something I want to look into. Yeah, so thank okay. you for bringing that up. Mm. Mm. No, no, I, I, because my, my 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 you know as we're talking, I'm just thinking. You know what, with children as well, you do need to educate them in this because I found like when when I started working, for instance, you know, you, you kind of get into these themes of how the world works and you're not sure how that works. I mean, my my parents, you know, my dad is late, but my mom didn't sit down with me and say, you know, by the way, when you get into work, you know, these are the type of things you would actually, you know, encounter. And you normally figure that stuff out and we, we didn't have... At that early stage, we didn't have people like, you know, you couldn't go to see a psychologist or something. So you just kind of went through it. Mm-hmm. And I just think, you know, like, how would you educate a child to know that, okay, the world is not bad, but it's not good as well. <laughs> so you do need to educate yourself on how the world actually works. You know, how, how does it work for brown people? You know, how does it work in terms of stereotyping? How does it work for, you know, social stigma? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? Mm. I think that's incredibly important. I think I think that's what we need to be teaching kids um, because, like you said, that's not something we grew up with, and we have to sort of navigate this world on our own and figure things out on our own. And, and some of us do, and some of us don't get it, you know, right. 
Um, but I, I think it. I think there it, it starts with the parents. Um, the parents being being open to educating their children, but also being able to really sit with their children's emotions and sit with their pain when they when it comes up. Um, which I think is which I think is the first most important thing. Um, I think as parents, we often also, again, we just want our, our kids to be okay and we want to make sure that we give them the solutions to, to take away their pain, but we won't sit with their pain, um, which in itself builds emotional intelligence. Um, so yeah, with the parents and then, and then again, our, our schooling system, um, mm. which doesn't often you know, speak about people of color issues, um, which again, I think is problematic. But, but yeah, I definitely think that a lot more education and, and knowledge needs to be given to emotional intelligence and, and just human behavior. Yeah. Yeah. So so probably there's two schools of thought there. One is like educating people that are already adults. And the other one yeah. is educating parents with children on how, you know, like how to educate their children in a way. Um, but like you said, you know, like when it breaks, then we seek out people like yourself. But almost like you, you, you need to build that muscle before you even pick up that desk, you know, because normally like we go and try to pick up the desk now and you don't even have the muscles to pick up the desk. Um, and as you need to do it, you're trying to build this muscle and it doesn't work like that. You almost need to build up that muscle memory or even yeah. those muscles before then. Um, exactly. And, and, and I find this in therapy that clients come to therapy when they're in crisis, when they have no more to give. And, and that's often the time where we, we can't do much work besides containment. Yes. Um, so I, I often say, you know, before it gets to that point, prevention is better than cure. Um, mm. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's, is that the topic of like positive psychology? Is that how you would describe it as well? It's almost like, you know, going to therapy when you really, you know, it's not like you're breaking down and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, you, is that how it, how it is? Yeah, I think, I think positive psychology and, and also just humanistic psychology. Um, but it's also something that I, I like to focus on as, as a counseling psychologist is, you know, when things are not too bad just yet, um, but you're noticing that there are parts of, of your life that you want to fix or you want to know yourself a little bit better. Um, so I think, I think that comes up a lot within counseling psychology. Okay. Um, this was absolutely fascinating. I love the conversation. Um, I love how non-mainstream it is as well, uh, which is actually really cool. Um, but is there anything, um, be before we start wrapping up, I mean, is there anything that you thought I should have asked you that I didn't? I think maybe if, if I could just give you an example of what generational trauma looks like from generation to generation, just so I make it more real um, for someone who's maybe still struggling to understand what generational trauma is. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> so if I give an example of what it would look like, um, I want to start from colonialism. Um, let's say specifically for people of color. So. I guess when you know Indians were used as slaves or, or whatever the whatever took place during colonialism. What happened there, for example, is a dad was um, 
beaten uh, by the British or whatever it is. That obviously caused trauma um, for him, constant trauma in terms of you know being physically abused and all of that. And and the dad was then unable to really give to his family in terms of being there emotionally for them, for example. And so what happens there then his wife felt neglect, neglected or then, you know, was unfulfilled in her relationship, couldn't give to their kids. And so the kids grew up with emotionally unavailable parents, poverty, um, dad became an alcoholic because that was the only way he, he knew how to survive or protect himself. And so parent, the, the kids, sorry, got all of that to mind and that was passed on to them. And so then they grow up with, you know, not being, not feeling loved or cared for in the way that they needed to. And then, so they then get into a relationship with an abusive partner. And so it moves on like that constantly, constantly until somebody decides to break that cycle. Um, and so that's just a, a little not too professional um, <laughs> example of, of how generational trauma can sort of go from one generation to the next. Mm. And I think the, you know, the really nice thing about articulating it like that in a story is yeah. that was more the norm rather than the exception. You know, that was like the commonality, you know, across those communities, which created yeah. obviously a bigger, you know, problem. And I think because of the communities as well, it's like, you know, lots of it was unspoken because, you know, I mean, I can't imagine the dad going home and telling his wife he was beaten at work, you know, yeah. so he kept that with him himself and yeah, obviously definitely. didn't tell anyone else and didn't have therapists or anything like that. Mm. 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 Yeah. I, I just remember, you know, now that you spoke about it like that, um, I just remember like in the 80s and the 70s where you know like people of color of you know brown people where whenever um you know they were almost like you know the, the positions or the you know the jobs that they possibly could get you know they never got and there was such i mean like that you know emotionally would have been quite draining you know you spoke about the physical aspects but emotionally you know knowing that you could do this but you can't um must have been quite traumatic as well you know um that, that feeling of of inadequacy, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that that's something that is it's, it's still so prevalent, that feeling of inadequacy mm. um, in the workplace. But but also I think for brown people, we've, we've kind of, and this happens very psychologically, is when we're, we're dealing with something that, that is a trauma, we tend to go the complete opposite direction. And so now we're overperforming and we're, you know, very successful um, and, and that sort of thing, which now is also giving us a lot of anxiety and a lot of <laughs> and a lot of stress. And so there is those extremes um, that happen psychologically. Mm, yeah, no, I, I can kind of see that. And it's, a, it's such a stereotype as well, but, it, but it's, it's yeah. so true. That's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what happens. It's like we don't know how to like take the foot off the gas, like just yeah. like slow down, calm down. And it's yeah. also, you know, maybe that's even another open, you know, topic is the whole confidence, you know, having confidence that it actually it's not going to go away. So you're yeah. almost like stuck in this other mode at the moment where he's like, you think it's going to go back to like the colonial time. So you better yeah. work hard, you better, you know, save your money yeah. or else it's going to go away. I don't know if that's a theme, you know, that comes up, but I can kind of see that 
Yeah. yeah. So it's the scarcity mindset that mm. they, you know get taken away from you. Think on mm. a very unconscious level. So it's not often something people are consciously thinking of, mm. um, but it is unconsciously driving this this overperformance. Um, but then at that, the bottom there's this inadequacy, incompet- feeling incompetent. Mm. Mm. Love that. Love how you, how you put that together as well. But is there anything else that I, I missed? No, I think I think you've covered it really well. Okay. In that case, Sanam, this was an absolute pleasure. I loved the conversation. I loved having you on the show. Um, thanks so much for doing it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and thank you so much for opening up these platforms and, and having us speak about these these topics that so desperately need to be spoken about. So thank you. Uh, It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. As always, stay tuned and we'll speak to you in the next episode.